Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio Broadcast. I'm glad that you've decided to join us. Uh, My name is Jonathan, and we've got a special broadcast for you this time. We've been going through the Grace-Based Recovery book and going through the nine principles that are part of that book. And so this week, we're going to be looking at the sixth principle, Grace to Persevere. How do you deal with just the temptation and want to quit, to give up? I mean, it's it's difficult work. Recovery is hard work. Uh, we like to say, as Dallas Willard once put it, uh, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. And so there's still work to be done in recovery. And a lot of times there's a temptation to want to quit. So how do we persevere? How do we push through? And so this is going to be from the webinar that we did on that particular principle. If you'd like to get more information about the book, or about the webinar series, just go to gracebasedrecovery.com and you can get access to all the previous webinar uh, videos as well as you can get access to the book. So again, this episode is going to be about grace to persevere. We hope it blesses you and we look forward to getting your feedback. You can uh, give us feedback through our Twitter channel at Pure Sex Radio or you can go to our website at puresexradio.com and contact us from there. So enjoy the episode. So let's go ahead and dive into this webinar's principle, Grace to Persevere. The main idea in this chapter in the book is that we are embracing faithfulness. Excuse me. We are embracing faithfulness. The the idea that recovery is a process that takes time and it comes with many peaks and valleys. So freedom comes to the one who never quits. And we need grace in order to persevere. The key scripture passages for this lesson are found in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, and also Proverbs 27, 17. So let me read those verses to you. So first, in James chapter 1, we're told to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And then also, Proverbs 27, 17, a very a famous and and common passage that we see a lot of times in recovery ministry and in uh, in growth ministries is as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that's, we're going to look at that a little bit later in terms of just the process that that looks like. So this main idea is that, you know, recovery requires faithfulness, this endurance, this perseverance, the reality that um, there's no such thing as fast recovery, at least not true recovery. Some people can have fast changes to maybe certain externals, maybe certain boundaries they put in place and behavior modification. But in terms of long-term, a true transformation, a complete paradigm shift in terms of how you live your life and live in freedom, that requires perseverance. So now the next thing we're going to look at is some key thoughts uh, related to this principle of perseverance. First, is that faithful perseverance is not about never failing, 
but about always getting back up. And then the way this is stated in the book at the top of page 40, it says, faithfulness is not about never failing, but rather about always eventually returning to your commitment to recovery when you fall. So I'm making the assumption, and I think it's a pretty good one. It's based on my own experience, but it's also based on having uh, over 16 years of dealing with thousands of men, especially in recovery environments. The reality that uh, failure does happen in recovery. Stumbler, stumblings happen. Uh, there are falls in recovery. And so faithful perseverance isn't about saying, I I've, I'm going to reach a point where I never fail. But it's about saying, I made a commitment when I entered recovery to say, I, I want to be one who never quits. And so the idea is when you fall, are you going to get back up and return to that commitment that says, I'm going to keep going. I recognize failings happen. I'm not aiming for that. That's not what I'm shooting for. But when I do fall, I will keep getting back up, whether that's 10 times, 1,000 times, 10,000 times. Um, and I like to tell people this a, a lot of times in recovery is that you can never be called a failure if you always get up. So if you think about it, I mean, everybody stumbles, everybody falls, but it's the, one who, the ones who choose to get back up that are the ones who will ultimately experience transformation and change in their lives. And I think it's also important as a little sidebar here, it's important that when you fall and you get back up, you seek to understand and learn from that failure so that when you face that same temptation again, you're better prepared for it uh, the next time. Another key thought in this lesson is we need to put into practice what you already know. And I call this use the hammer. And so in the, in the, uh, book, and I'll share this in just a minute, I give kind of an illustration of the hammer, but the idea is I have never, it, it is a rare thing, I can't even call to mind specifically any instance in which I've had a guy in recovery or anybody in recovery that has looked at me and says, I really didn't know the right thing to do. If you think it through, nobody would enter recovery if they did not know the right thing to do. The whole reason you enter into recovery is you recognize I'm outside of what's good and healthy and right. Nobody would ever enter into recovery if they were truly ignorant of what was right or what was good. So the, the point of recovery and the point of, of persevering and really pushing through in, in recovery is not because, oh, guess what? We had no idea what the right thing to do was. It's more about we have not put into practice the good thing or the right thing. And so this idea of perseverance and grace to persevere is saying, let's help you put into practice what you already know is right, but that you've been failing to do before. The illustration I give in the book on page 40, the last paragraph, is that of a, of a hammer. So let me share it with you. We can all benefit from a deeper knowledge of truth, but there are limits to knowledge and the kind of, quote, knowing that an addict needs is rarely intellectual. An addict needs to know the truth the way a carpenter knows his hammer. A carpenter doesn't carry around a picture of a hammer, pull it out at his job site, and explain how it works to the customer. No, he carries an actual hammer and, quote, knows it by repeatedly swinging it to complete the job. He may not hit the nail every time, but he has swung it enough to know how it operates in action not just in theory. 
So part of this is saying, okay, now that I, I have to admit, I, I have some kind of understanding, even if it's limited, of the right thing to do. I, I have some kind of knowledge of, of the hammer, but maybe that knowledge has only been through a picture of a hammer. Maybe that knowledge has only been through somebody else telling you about a hammer, but you've never actually picked it up. And so this idea of putting into practice what you already know is saying, hey, put away the picture of the hammer, put away your theories about the hammer, and actually pick up the hammer. It may feel awkward at first because you've never swung it, but as you swing it, as you begin to learn how to use it, now you will see actual results. It's not just about theory and philosophy. It's now you're in recovery. Another key thought in this particular lesson is that idea of iron sharpens iron, and it's over time. See, I think we lose this imagery in our in our world today. We don't understand this idea of iron sharpening iron. We we maybe this is one of those areas where we might get it in theory, but we don't understand the process and what it looks like. So if if you imagine for a minute that I had two iron rods and both rods were 18 inches long and they were a half inch in diameter, and and we needed to put I needed to put a sharp edge on both of the rods, but I could only use the other rod to do so. Now this imagery starts to become clear, right? Because now I have to strike these two rods together and it's not going to put a sharp edge on both of them in a matter of five minutes or even five hours. This is gonna be a long process. And think about all the elements that are necessary in order for a sharp edge to come out of those rods just by using the other rod. You're going to have to strike them against one another, right? So therefore, that means there's going to be uh, pressure. There's going to be friction. There's going to be heat. And at whatever point there's an imperfection in either one of the rods, sparks are going to fly. This is, I think, the imagery of what perseverance looks like in recovery is we need to press into other people's lives. We need to press in to the truth of God's word and we need to be sharpened. And as we press into others, the great thing about it is not only are we getting sharpened, but by pressing into others, we are also helping sharpen them. It's a mutually beneficial relationship when we learn to press in to each other's lives in this persevering, sharpening work. But the, the key thing to remember here is that it takes a long time of persistent coming together for there to actually be sharpness. And that's why I think it's very important that we recognize that there's gonna be discomfort in, in community. You're not always gonna agree with the people that you're pressing in together with. And sometimes we falsely interpret the discomfort as something's going wrong. Well, no, it's maybe just a piece of, of the steel that needs to be knocked off of your life. It's an imperfection there. It's something that needs to be, um, you know, knocked away. And what I see happen a lot of times is what I call group hopping. People step into one group, they start pressing into others, it gets uncomfortable. And because everything about our addiction has taught us that any kind of discomfort, all kinds of discomfort are wrong, we feel that discomfort and we immediately jump to another group saying, ah, oh, that didn't work for me. And then we start pressing into some other people's lives. Inevitably, it's going to get uncomfortable and because we've been taught and trained by our addiction, all discomfort is bad, we hop and hop and hop around. And I like to say we become a bunch of half-sharpened rods that aren't useful as a weapon or a tool. 
And so we need to press in and keep pressing in through the discomfort. And what we will find is both of us, the community will get sharp because we are all pressing into each other. Finally, another key thought in this lesson on grace to persevere is that giving up always results in getting worse. And let me share with you uh, a paragraph out of the lesson. It's on page 42, the last paragraph of the article. Giving up only results in your addiction getting worse. Keep pressing on in recovery and you become a powerful weapon for good, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. When we give up, it's not just a negative impact on our own lives. Remember, iron sharpens iron. When we give up, it actually affects the growth and recovery of other people. And I'm not saying that to lay a guilt trip on you. If you're in a tough place or, or you're in a season where you're just feeling just apathetic, this isn't about heaping on more guilt or any kind of shame on you. But it is saying that you're needed in the recovery community. It's not all about you and it's not all for you. And if you can recognize that even in your brokenness, you bring value to the community of recovery, maybe that'll give you a little bit of motivation to say, hey, let me, let me not wallow over here in my pain and my brokenness, my repeated failures. Let me realize that I need to step into community because there's somebody that needs my story. There's somebody that needs my life. There's somebody that needs me to press into them to help them along the way. And I'm going to unpack a little bit more of what this looks like as far as the idea that it gets worse if we, if we give up. So those are really the key, some of the key thoughts in this lesson. Now let me share with you some of the key questions that we've got to ask. So some of the key questions in this particular lesson first is, what makes quitting seem so attractive? See, if we're talking about grace to persevere, well, that means there's something about recovery and the difficulties of recovery that, that there's an enticement to quit. And by the way, I've been doing this a long time. I've been part of group ministries for almost 20 years. And, and I'll tell you, um, I've seen a lot of guys quit over the years. And, and I've tried to think about, okay, what is it about, what's the attraction towards quitting? I mean, guys don't enter recovery because they want to quit. And what I mean is quit recovery. They, they want to quit their addiction. So they don't enter recovery and say, I'm going to step into this community because I eventually want to bail out of here. They step in because they really do have a true desire to say, I don't want to be doing these things anymore. I, I know that I'm not living the way I was designed. I know this is killing me in my relationships. But when they get into recovery, they start pressing into other people's lives and recognize this is difficult. This is hard. So what's the attraction to quitting? I think it boils down to this. The easy way always looks attractive because it's easy. <laughs> I mean, I know that may be an oversimplification, uh, but, if, but easy and right are not always bedfellows. A lot of times doing the right thing will not be easy. Doing the good thing will not always be easy. It can lead to an ease in life. It can lead to a sense of simplifying life. It can lead to peace. But the journey of recovery, the journey of learning what it is to live by God's design is not an easy road. And so I think the attraction of quitting is in this notion that there might be a shortcut to a transformed life. 
We love to make things convenient in our world, right? Man, give me that three-second Pop-Tart. Give me that, you know, um, 30-second Keurig K-Cup coffee. You know, I, I want things to be convenient and simple and easy. And right now, here's maybe this is some bad news. Maybe this is some good news for some of you. But the reality is there's no such thing as a shortcut or any kind of shortcut to a transformed life. There's no shortcuts in recovery. We can learn from those who've gone before us and, and hopefully gain some wisdom, but even, even in gaining that wisdom and maybe avoiding certain pitfalls doesn't mean that's a shortcut to recovery. There's still things that we are going to have to do in our own lives that are difficult. The kind of amends that we're going to need to make, the kind of conversations we're going to need to have, the kind of humility that we're going to need to embrace, these are not easy things, and you cannot develop character you cannot develop godly character through any kind of shortcuts. And so I think uh, the attractiveness of quitting is we come up against all these various um, barriers and challenges that we're going to need to overcome in order to grow in our character, in order to grow in recovery. And the little quit monster is right next to us saying, it'd be way easier if you took this path. Go this way. I promise you it's going to be easier if you try to circumvent this you know, speed bump. And the reality is you try to go that way, you try to circumvent it, you try to do a shortcut, and you actually, you're actually working against building godly character. And so quitting is attractive because it, it's easy, it looks easy, and then it also gives us kind of this false promise that if you go this other way, you can, short, or you can shortcut the transformative process. Another key question we have to ask in relationship to this lesson of, of grace to persevere and faithful endurance is, why does giving up only result in getting worse? So why is it that when you give up, when you quit, things get worse? Can't you just sort of plateau and stay at the same level? I, I believe that when you quit recovery, you don't go back to where you started your addiction. You, you typically are just going to go back to where you left off. So like in my case, my story had led me all the way down the path into uh, behaviors that were beyond just, you know, adulterous affairs and actually even crossed lines into prostitution, paying for sex. So let's say in my life, you know, 20 years into recovery, I just decided to chunk it all. And I just say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. It's getting progressively harder to live a, a life of integrity and purity in the culture in which we live and just the the increased depravity and, and licentiousness and absolute moral depravity. And I say, I'm just going to bail out. I wouldn't necessarily go all the way back to where I started my addiction, which was looking at JC Penney catalogs. I mean, for one thing, they don't exist anymore, but I wouldn't go back to that. Now I might go back to some of that, but it would just be a fast and easy on-ramp to eventually get me to where I left off, which was prostitutes. And so even if you've been in recovery for a long time and if you've moved away from a lot of those behaviors, if you did decide to just chunk it and, and give up on recovery, it would be a very short period of time, I believe, before you would actually just be engaged in the things where you left off. And so therefore, because we know that to get to where you left off, you progressed or digressed along that journey of, of depravity, we can be certain that it's only going to push you further. And so when you go back to where you left off, 
eventually things are going to get worse because you'll just blaze new trails of sin and, and not simply retrace your old trails. And so this is why, this isn't a scare tactic. This isn't, I'm not trying to say, you know, you got to stay in recovery because it'll get worse. I'm just trying to be honest. And the reality is, is yeah, you can quit at any time you want. You can say, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. I just want to give in to all my urges and my desires. And, and that's your choice. But I'm here to tell you as, a, as one who seeks to be a, a sharpener, as one who seeks to be one that presses into your life and tells you the truth in love, is that if you do that, it's just a matter of time before it'll be worse than where you left off. And finally, another question we have to ask in this lesson on perseverance is, in what areas of your your recovery are you not swinging the hammer? So when you think about what does it look like to actually um, be doing the word, not merely hearing it, what are the areas that you're not swinging the hammer? Perseverance is about persistence. So you can't take a day off in recovery. So discipline is a key ingredient to transformation. The Bible talks about us being disciples of Jesus. This, this word disciple literally means learner, but it doesn't mean learner the way we often think in our Western, you know, academic culture of learning as if just dumping more information into your brain. This idea of disciple in the, the Middle Eastern Jewish you know, tradition would have been more what you see with a rabbi and his disciples, a rabbi and his kind of cohort. These would be a group of, of learners that are not simply hearing what their rabbi is saying, but they're actually watching, they're walking with, they are, they are communing with, they are living with their rabbi, and that they're learning by being with their rabbi all, through, all throughout their training period. And so I think this is the idea of, of persistence. Are we, are we a disciple of Jesus? Are we a learner of Jesus? And to be a disciple requires discipline. They're the same root word. We need to build these disciplines into our daily lives. And with that in mind, that's really where we get to kind of this exciting uh, group exercise. The group exercise for this particular lesson on, on grace to persevere is to pursue practical growth in the six principles of recovery. These were, this is kind of what comprised the hammer of daily discipline. And I've listed them out in the book, and I've put them here in the slide here. These six areas are really what require daily discipline, confession, repentance, self-awareness, faith, community, and service. So if we take just a moment to look at each of those, confession, confession is simply agreeing with truth. So each and every day, I need to, I need to be able to analyze my life and go, what are the areas of my life that have not agreed with truth? And truth, all truth is God's truth. And so what that means is we look to his word and we say, are there areas of my life in thought or in deed, in attitude, in language, in behavior that have not lined up with how God has designed me to live? I need to bring those things out into the light. I need to confess to God and I need to confess to others those areas that do not line up with truth. I'm I'm agreeing with truth. Repentance is is the next step beyond confession. Confession is simply bringing into light what's been in the dark. It's it's saying, where does my life not match up with truth? And confessing that. Repentance is then having a change of mind toward those things and saying, now I want to actually refocus my mind on what I am meant for 
and then move in that direction. And that's really where kind of the self-awareness piece comes up. Am I, am I aware of my blind spots? Am I taking a look at myself emotionally, mentally, spiritually, even physically? Am I, am I taking care of myself and aware of the areas that need work and need help and need growth? And then the, there's the need for faith. What am I doing today to deepen and strengthen my faith, my trust in the Lord? And then we all need community. We must guard against isolation. It's very easy. I see it happen all the time in recovery. People start to, they, they start with community and they start to feel some sense of relief from their acting out behaviors. And very shortly, they begin to once again isolate themselves because they think of themselves as quote unquote well, because they aren't acting out as much. And so then they pull out a community. Well, they don't recognize that it's actually the community was a key aspect of them being able to now uh, resist temptation and, and walk in integrity. And then finally, the last piece is now, how am I having my life point outward towards serving others? See, I see in recovery, a lot of times people that they, they engage community, they're confessing, they're repenting, they're crying out to God in prayer and they've got self-awareness, but they can still sort of stay self-focused they're still pointing things inward. Sometimes confession alone can start getting them to just only look at their brokenness and only look at themselves. It's this service piece that helps us remember that our lives are meant for more than just ourselves. And are we going to persevere in seeking ways that even through our brokenness, looking to consider the needs of others as more important than our own? And how are we going to actually take our lives as we're going through this recovery process and, and use them for the good of others? And so the way this, this particular group exercise works in this lesson is I invite uh, the group members to write down each of these principles and then um, just share something specific that they could do to grow in that one area, uh, let's say in the following week or month or whatever. Now, you got to be careful here because... Sometimes what can happen is somebody can write down these six things and then, man, just go to town, like all these things that need to be confessed and all this self-awareness and all this faith and all this community, all these growth areas. And next thing you know, they've got a list that is crushing them. It's overwhelming. them. It's like nobody can do that in a week or what. So what I encourage people to do is think of one thing, maybe even just pick one of these areas and ask God, what's the thing that needs the most work out of these six daily disciplines? And just start with that and begin to, maybe it's repentance. Maybe you're at what we call a serial confessor. You're doing okay with bringing things into the light, but you're not having a change of mind regarding that. You're, there's not a brokenness, a godly sorrow over your sin that produces repentance. And so maybe repentance is the thing that you need to really focus in on. Maybe, maybe in that regard, God reveals to you that, you know what, you need to have a good cry this week over your sin. Can you, can you just, I mean, I know it sounds crazy to almost like schedule a good cry, but can you prepare your heart to just truly be broken before God and say, God, I have, there's still something of a hardness in my heart because although I am willing to confess what I have done, I'm not willing to be sorrowful over it. I'm not, I'm not yet, my heart has not softened in that area. My heart has not been crushed because of my sin. And so Lord, help me to have a true sense of sorrow, godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow, godly sorrow over my sin. And so even just thinking that's going to be my focus for this week, that will help you persevere. 
So these are the daily disciplines that I think are important to, to grow in perseverance and grow in, uh, in grace and in recovery. So I'm going to uh, stop sharing my screen now and we will get back to uh, the video here. And I'm going to see if, uh, let's see if we've got any questions coming in here. Please go ahead and feel free to use the, the Q&A section of the, of the Zoom to, to post your questions. Um, we did have somebody ask about how to see the, the previous webinars. And so if you'll go to gracebasedrecovery.com, then um, you can, from there, you can get all of the previous uh, webinars and those are free to access. There's a there's a way to sign up for that and and get those. But um, gracebasedrecovery.com is where you can go for that. Okay, I've got a question here that says, "What if I have already given up?" And I get that. Okay, how do I pick up the hammer um, again? And the shame of repeated failure seems too much to bear. This is a great question, and it's one that we see a lot of times in recovery. It's just this idea of I just. I don't have the energy. I just, I feel like the only option I have is to just stay in a state of like, giving up that I just I quit. It's too hard. I just keep going around the same merry-go-round and the shame is too heavy. Uh, even this idea of, of six daily disciplines. I mean, that just seems overwhelming. And so how do I get back up? Well, the good news is that it's already written into kind of the code of this hammer. So it's not as if you have to say, okay, I got to go do something else in order to actually then pick up the hammer. No, it's within the hammer. Um, so confess. Even just right here, writing out that question is an agreement, agreeing to truth. It's like, I can't do this. You're right. You can't do this. The only one that was able to live a perfectly pure, righteous life that was never bound up in addiction and never had a stronghold of sin was Jesus Christ. So just to start there is the right thing to do. You've already picked up the hammer to a degree. Confess. And then ask God, say, God, I need my mind to be changed. And my guess is one of the key areas that the mind needs to be changed is this idea that somehow your value before God has been diminished because of your repeated failures. You need to repent of that. That is not true. Jesus Christ, we are told, wow, we were still sinners. Wow, we are in a rebellion. Wow, we had no inclination towards God. In other words, we had no desire to seek God. We were quitters. We're told that in that state, Christ died for us. In that state of being far from God with no inclination towards him, he said, I'll reach out to you. So can you repent of those thoughts that say, I'm somehow less, more, you know, less valuable before God because of my failures? And then another key element here is plug into a grace-based environment. You need people around you who are going to lift you up, who are going to be like those rods and sharpen you. But part of that sharpening is when you come together, there's encouragement there. There's encouragement that says, hey, you know what? I have had plenty of times where I want to quit too. So I know what it feels like, but let me tell you, you don't want to go there. You don't want to stay there because it'll only get worse. And so surrounding yourself with people that can encourage you is huge. Great question. Um, what if I feel like I'm doing things right, but my wife never thinks it is enough? That's a great question. So 
this happens a lot in, in couples that we see. You know, a husband begins to start recovery, things kind of move forward, and there's like a stuckness with the wife. Now, we have to remember that sometimes we have this false expectation that if a guy gets in recovery, like magically things will just start kind of fitting in place. And the reality is, is for quite a while, there's going to be a real difference in pace and there's going to be a real difference usually in kind of where a husband and wife are in their personal journeys, the husband in recovery, the wife in healing. And so you have to be patient. And I know it can be like, man, it's been years. I know, I know. But uh, I believe that God tells us in his word as husbands that we are called to live with our wives in an understanding way. And I believe that idea of understanding means we seek to be empathetic. We seek to be humble. We seek to be patient. We are the only spouse that is actually asked by God to go to the point of death for the others. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think sometimes we start getting frustrated with maybe the slowness of our wife's healing or the slowness of her to feel like you're doing something right. That's slowly having us creep back into where we're looking toward ourselves and we're really making it about ourselves and we're going, I'm going to, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to, I'm going to spew my frustration out on her, but we don't have that. We don't have that right before God because when we go to God, we say, I have a right now to be angry with this woman. And I have a right to just kind of, you know, push back on her. I don't think God will say, Hey, you're right, buddy. <laughs> I think he actually says, um, actually, if you, if you're not willing to be patient and kind and humble toward her, then I actually don't listen to your prayers. So we have an obligation before God to sacrifice ourselves for our wives. The other thing about this too, is I think what helped me frame up in my own mind, this sort of disconnect that can happen between where I think I am and where my wife thinks I am. And those don't line up is just being able to say, do you realize that am I trying to make my recovery about her response or am I making my recovery about my own character? And so if I make my recovery about my own character and seeking to honor God and please God, regardless of my wife's response, then I'm not as tied to how she's feeling about me. No, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying it doesn't, it's not difficult. But I think when we realize that at the end of any day, it matters most God's view of us. It matters most in terms of whether or not have I lived in a way that has honored him and so I think making it more about uh, kind of practicing growing character in my, you know, walk before God rather than just what does this look like between me and my wife? And hopefully what that will do is that will create a consistency in your life as a husband that over time will cause your wife to see real transformation is going on in your life. And you're not just giving lip service or you're not just trying to check boxes to make her happy. Uh, any practical pointers for communicating what I am learning in recovery with my spouse? Great question. So um, I think it's always important to be able to share what's going on in your recovery. Not at, The key here is not to do it in a way that's trying to get a certain kind of response to her, but just to highlight things you're seeking to celebrate in your, in your journey. Um, so like when you have a new insight, I mean, when God gives you something new, I think it's important to ask your wife if you can share that with her. 
don't just start blowing in and, and being like, you're all happy. And you go, man, God showed me something awesome. That she might be in a really broken place. She might be in a really tough place. Maybe it's not the right timing. Maybe it's not the right, you know, moment. Um, so just say, you know, you might say something like, um, you know, when I was at group last night, there was really a particularly incredible insight that I feel like God revealed to me. I just, I wondered if you would want to hear that or not. And just let it be up to her. And if she says yes, make sure that you keep it focused on what God is teaching you, not now trying to preach to her. So don't, in other words, sometimes what I see guys do is they're, they're trying to make this insight. They think they're making it about themselves, but they're really trying to say, and doesn't that make me a great guy? Don't you just think I'm wonderful? Don't, you know, they're trying to kind of feed her some, some things in, his, in your recovery to try to get a positive response. And so we got to watch out for that. Keep, make your recovery, your recovery, own it, own the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and when you're sharing about things that you're learning, prep it with a question and then make sure you're sharing it in humility. And it's really about what God is teaching you. Um, and then I think it's always good to open, uh, offer the opportunity for her to ask any questions about that insight in terms of like, well, what is that going to look like now in your life practically? How are you going to respond to that? What are you going to do about it? You know, cause I think that's the question a lot of wives have is great. You got a new insight. Now what are you going to do about it? Like remember be doers of the word, not hearers only. Um, one more question that we have here is what about getting tired in recovery? How do I deal with the fatigue without giving up or going back to my old habits of relief? That's a great question. And here's the, the way I would answer that question is I really believe that community is the essential element that kind of keeps us energized in recovery. This is not to diminish faith or confession, repentance, self-worth. It's not to diminish any of that. But we need each other in this battle. We need each other in recovery. Um, I really believe that, that God pours out his power in a unique kind of way in community. I'm not saying that God can't give you incredible power personally and individually in your recovery, but I think there's a different way and a different type, if, you, if I can say it that way, of, of power and energy that he releases in community. And so if you're feeling tired, if, uh, you, you know, surround yourself with people that can sort of prop you up, can hold you up. Because guess what? We do get tired on this journey. And that's why we, we need to recognize too that the outcome is not about a destination. In other words, don't be careful about creating arbitrary destinations that say, my life has to look like fill in the blank. And until I reach that, there's no satisfaction. It's all just, you know, nose to the grindstone. I think actually God through recovery wants to actually weave in and teach us how to rest on the journey. And so if you find yourself kind of, kind of having these spurts of energy and then complete exhaustion, spurts of energy, complete exhaustion, I want to invite you to a new way of thinking about recovery. I think recovery is meant to actually bring rest to your soul. Uh, read Matthew 11, uh, the end of Matthew 11, where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Because he talks about in that finding rest for your soul when we take his yoke upon us. And so I think we need to be in community. Yoke is you're, you're connected to someone. Um, and in that case, you're connected to Jesus, and Jesus will never lead you away from the body of Christ. So it's important that you be in community. I think that can really help fight against that, um, that 
fatigue and tiredness. Well, listeners, I hope that that webinar and that information was uh, inspiring and informational for you so that you can understand maybe where your snags come in terms of wanting to, to quit on this journey or also being able to help others who are just struggling with the endurance that's necessary to really push through the full recovery process and gain entirely new ways of living. Uh, if you've got questions for us, uh, please reach out to us at puresexradio.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at puresexradio. If you'd like more information about the Grace-Based Recovery book or the webinar series, just go to grayspacedrecovery.com and you get all the information there. Uh, we're always so grateful to have you listening to it each and every week and uh, we just we couldn't do what we do without you. And so thank you for your partnership and for listening and we look forward to seeing you back here again next week on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.